0: Hello and welcome back to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put first-time GMs through their paces as we build and run their very first one-shot, and then circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can make their games even better. This season we're playing Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a game of poultry, eldritch horrors, and revenge. This is the final part of our three-part series where we take a look back at the game that I ran and talk through all the things that went right and the ways I can improve. Joining me once again is the game designer and creator of Something Is Wrong With The Chickens, Elliot Davis. Elliot, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Good. Good to be back. It's great to have you. So let's kind of dive right in. How did I do?
1: I mean, overall, I think you killed it. And I and I feel like I hope you feel that as well, that I thought it just was like you made at the at the baseline just a very fun session to play. Whether mics were rolling or not, that would have been just an extremely fun game to play, a group of people to play the scenario and everything. How did you feel during and how do you feel kind of in hindsight?
0: I feel good. It's a lot of that goes to, you know. Great players, great players willing to make like like dive into the the weird and wild world that we were creating together. And like everyone kind of went hog wild pretty quick. Like no one was really that hesitant to get started, which is always a huge help. Mm. And the game, you know, praise to the game is very simple to learn, very simple to understand and gives you. I, I came into the session with literally zero, zero planned. I knew who my players were and I knew what the rules were. And I rolled everything right in front of the players, like what, you know, what the chicken fried steaks were going to be. We figured out what the player types were going to be, all that kind of stuff. And honestly, with those with that table, those like five tables that I rolled on, I had everything I needed and rolled from there. It's a testament to both the, des- the game design and like the simplicity of it and to the players. It's like a, it's like a
1: very good when you see like a really good sports team come together it's like all the all the pieces Mm -hmm. were were all the stars aligned in that session and and everything came together really well I was surprised during um I think it was during character creation I was surprised to learn that like not everybody thought ducks were implicitly mean that was actually (laughs) like 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 a big realization for me and like I played a little bit of the episode for my girlfriend she was like where did you get that (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I just, I just thought it was a fact. I just, I, that's like, uh, yeah. So that was, I, that I've was always thought of, no. of geese
0: as being, of being the mega mean things. Geese are definitely the mega mean. Yeah. Yeah. And this was your first time actually getting to play like as a player, not running the game. What did you learn yeah. anything new from playing from that side or do you know, did you have fun? What, what were your kind of thoughts? Oh yeah. No, I
1: mean, definitely had a ton of fun and it was really fun to just kind of get to focus on like embodying peep the duck for Mm -hmm. a while um which was which was really enjoyable i feel like you did a really like one of the things that like i feel like i learned from you was the like letting things breathe in like a single setting and you know not necessarily having to like shove people away from a scene when it's going really well you know Mm -hmm. like there's like there's really like there's no need you know like we spent like a lot of time like at that one booth but there was so much good like role play and like laughs like at that one booth like we had a whole state fair to play but you did a really good job of like making the small interesting so I thought that was good like sticking to like letting people stay in a location and not just like and then you know you gave them the push when they needed but I that was something
0: that I guess I probably wouldn't have thought of that's actually really tough for me because I feel like I'm so used to playing longer sessions that are part of a campaign rather than self-contained. Like I've really run like a one shot or two and they're usually still like, you know, four or five hours. Right, right. The total runtime of the game itself was maybe like an hour and 20 and getting like pushing people towards an ending was really tough and trying to make sure that everyone was like, staying engaged everyone was getting their turn to play like trying to cross cut between what was happening in the refrigerated room and what was happening like at Mm -hmm. the booth and like kind of separation is a son of a
1: bitch yeah yeah i i do when the group
0: separates it's a it can be tough it it does give you that that thing that, that star wars does really well like meanwhile back at the ranch type thing where the second you get to the height of a scene you can cut to the other scene and rebuild and you're always having like a forward momentum that's just building and building and building. Mm -hmm. But it is uh, not the easiest thing to do. There's a reason, you know, only a few people can can do it well and it's tough. Uh, But it's like, yeah, yeah. it felt really felt really rewarding to do. I feel like I learned a lot from just having to, like, keep an eye on the clock and be like, okay, in 20 minutes, we have to have an ending and we're nowhere close Mm -hmm. to it. Like, how do we get there?
1: Yeah. yeah, And that's part of the pressure of not only a a one shot, one page game that you don't want to, like, keep people playing for too long but also like you were thinking you know there's a there was a production element to it that i think also made that interesting like where you're like nobody's going to want to listen to this for four or five hours kind of thing yeah (laughs) even though we probably could have played in that world for for (laughs) twice the time honestly oh yeah would have happily done
0: it but you know people come in i'm like okay we'll play for two hours and all of a sudden we're getting close to that two hours i'm like well people had maybe people made plans right right well before
1: we get i guess too deep into the lessons um I'm sure people could use a refresher even if they listened to the last episode what kind of what what went down
0: Yeah so we started at the Ohio State Fair with a group of ducks, chickens and nuggets we had Minerva the all-seeing kind of a psychic third-eye duck with her two muscled ducks Peep and Papillon Papillon being the French cigarette smoker, Pete being the thick cigar uh, (laughs) smoker. We had Wendy, the prophesied chicken who was leading the group to rescue her grandmother, who was one of the three elder chickens who were being held by some mysterious faction at this state fair. And last but not least, we had the agent of chaos that was Dintel Vorg, the chicken nugget that joined the group that was the sweet talking crispy as cool nugget. Greatest interpretation of Crispy I could have ever imagined. <laughs> really fantastic move from Jenny. Yeah. I am very glad that we got to feature the Nuggets. I think it's like such a fun thing to have in this game. It's like the goofiest aspect of the game. And mm-hmm. every time I've seen this game, anyone who gets a Nugget really has fun with it. Absolutely. You guys went in very quickly split up with a group of you going to like gather information at a number of stalls noticing these like menacing boiler suit wearing large, you know, kind of men moving around and seem to be like talking and intimidating the various booth owners. You kind of got in there, figured out that these guys were up to something menacing. Speaking with the Nuggets in a Nugget stand, you realize there was a ritual happening in this refrigerated room off to the other side of the stage. Minerva and Peep went over there to investigate. And when they got there, they saw Inside was a a butter sculpture paradise with lots of butter sculptures. And at the center, this butter plinth, very like monolith 2001 Space Odyssey. And these boiler suit gentlemen were sending eldritch tentacles off their bodies and into this plinth, forming some kind of ritual. And inside you heard the echoed voices of these elder chickens that needed to be rescued. So now that you guys knew where this Ritual was happening where these elder chickens were being held. You guys all rushed inside to try to defeat these evildoers. As you did, Wendy ran into a clucking cow who she realized was her grandfather, transmogrified into a cow, uh, who revealed to them that this ritual was to turn these elder chickens into cows, thus destroying their like elder knowledge. When you got inside, you began to like disrupt this ritual with. Wendy creating, like, tornadoes of of motion. You used the butter to, like, create... You started to boil the butter. You started to create this cyclone of butter and, like, scales shooting out everywhere. Dintel was able to conscript, like, a hundred chicken nuggets to their cause and came out exuding the power of dubstep and began to attack as well. The boiler suit evildoers were revealed to be transmogrified cows that were trying to... Destroy these chickens. You were able to destroy the plinth itself, which shattered, leaving a void in space. Wendy dove inside, grabbed her grandmother and the two other elders, and pulled them out to safety. A success, if there ever was one. That's exactly. what happened. I mean, you're
1: forgetting you're forgetting a very key aside of. Um, the little jazz snap fest that uh has in order to conscript those those chicken nuggets oh yeah wonderful
0: really you gotta if you haven't listened to the episode what are you doing here
1: actually yeah absolutely if you 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 don't know what i'm talking about you gotta go back and and listen to the episode because that
0: yeah i mean it's a
1: it's a crazy uh it's a crazy thing to hear all at once but it's amazing that it was like It was all a cohesive story, you know, it was like you did like I thought one of the things you did particularly well before getting like into specifically asking you was like we got there and it was like, you know, we're looking around. It's like what like. There was a little bit of freewheeling. And then it was like boilerplate suit guys like they're bad. Like, you know, that's just like Mm -hmm. plot hook. They're bad. You know, it was right. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's like that's fucked up. Like that's something something's going on here. And then like the mystery just carried from there. They were like the they were a great, a great plot hook, the like kind of stiff boilerplate suits a mid. And you know, it's funny, I don't think you like described this as a period state fair, but and maybe this is because of your like wonderful music and sound design, but it felt very like 1980s or even earlier, very like old school. And maybe that's partially like the Eldritch horror vibe feels old school as well. Like, I just can't imagine quite the same story taking place in like
0: 2022 State Fair. Definitely. I think the only anachronism to that is like the mention of Lady Gaga. But outside of that, it's it did feel very nice world
1: yeah exactly she was just around it's actually Dan lady though. gaga's just a local
0: ohio celebrity at the time she
1: <laughs> just didn't quite uh, reach the same uh level
0: it is fun yeah I, I hadn't intended it to be 1980s but as i started editing it and adding in music it felt very stranger things and you know you throw mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. 80s synth music into there and all of a sudden you kind of realize like oh there were no 2000 you know aughts or 20s specifics like yeah, this could very well be 1980s, 1990s, which is when when I think of the state fair, I think of, you know, late 90s, early aughts when I was going to mm-hmm. the state fair. Um, so it is definitely tinged with that because I have no idea what it looks like now.
1: Well, yeah, I feel like state fairs are one of those kind of like time capsule kind of places as well, you know, where it that's true. It, it sort of stays the same. At least I hope it's that way. I hope it's not like I hope they don't have like electronic games. It's all apps in the booths and stuff now. It's all apps, all you fast one around. It's all apps and QR codes. Um, this is actually just going to be like my bitter old man <laughs> podcast episode. I hope you're <laughs> I hope you're ready for that. So what? Tell me first, I guess, what were your like two or three
0: favorite moments? Like, let's start super positive. Two or three favorite moments. I loved Dintel talking to the chicken nuggets. I think I don't even think Dintel necessarily raised that first. I think it was Chinook playing Papillon. They were like, hey, mm-hmm. let's go over and talk to them. Let's conscript these nuggets. The second that happened, I was like, OK, this is what half the game is going to be. Oh, yeah. Because the idea of a nugget finding hundreds of nuggets is like the ideal scenario, which I think every time I've heard you talk about this game or see any any version of this game played, whenever there's a nugget, they find other nuggets. That's just like what it the was the best is. part of
1: the play test that we like. One of the play tests we did, the best part was when the nugget went and like, uh, incorporated the frozen nuggets in mm-hmm. the, in the freezer aisle. It was a little different. Like it was more nasty than like cool, but, but yeah, I feel <laughs> like it, it, I didn't even realize, you know, like making a nugget, a playable character that that instinct would be so strong. And like, you don't, even if you hadn't told somebody it, it's like what they decide is that makes the most sense.
0: I, I guess it's just because when you think of a nugget, you don't think of a nugget. You think of chicken nuggets. Yeah. So like, oh, I must find my least. people. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so that that coming out was great. I I really did love very quickly. And this was actually in the like pre really, really one, of, one of the best parts for me as a as a chicken master, as a game master, as a chicken master, was that portion of the game that started right after I set up the stakes. So I did my rolling on the tables. I knew we were going to be at a state fair. I knew there were these elder chickens being held hostage, but I didn't know a lot about the characters and that like mm. five or six minutes of time that. We talked through characters. You guys gave me so much to work with. Like That was the most valuable part of this whole thing, for sure. Like Minerva saying, oh, there's a prophecy. And then you saying, oh, I think Wendy is the chicken of prophecy. Wendy upping the game by saying, it's my grandmother in there. She's one of the elder chickens. Mm-hmm. Peep and Papillon saying like they were the muscle for Minerva. All of a sudden, I had five disparate characters and very quickly I had a story like when you Mm -mm. when you know there's a prophecy when you know one person has like goons when you know one person is trying to you know save a relative and when you know there's a nugget that's just a pure agent of chaos it's amazing that the nugget
1: fits so well like it's like it's still just like we didn't make an effective connection with Dintel, but uh it just worked (laughs) it just worked
0: It came out in the magic. Really, you guys did me the greatest solid of giving me everything I needed, because after that five or six minutes, everything you hear in the episode was pretty much born from that. I think the Mm -hmm. only thing, Mm -hmm. you know, that didn't come from any of that was the cows. And that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean, the setting came from from the roles. So I will say If you're going to run a game like this, a one page RPG or really any kind of tabletop role playing game, talk to your players and talk to them about their characters and about what connects them, what they want. Because as you can see, like it took us five, six minutes. Yeah. And I had everything I needed. It's not a long conversation and it's also not a boring conversation. There's some great little like jokes you end up making in that
1: in that kind of uh conversation you know and it's like the moments where people laugh where that ends up
0: becoming like the thing where you're like oh that's definitely true (laughs) yeah because you you kind of figure little things out and all of a sudden after five six ten minutes you have a shared history that now you can do callbacks to which is like half Mm -hmm. the fun of like relating back to old old jokes it's almost like a mini
1: session zero for a game like this. You know, like if like exactly people who are familiar with session zeros, it's a great way to think about it. It's like even when you're doing a one shot or a, and especially like a one page RPG where you're kind of coming up with everything on the spot, having that little mini session zero at the top. Yeah, pays pays dividends. And Honey Heist does a great job of that, too. That's it's, it's, it's kind of and, you oh, know, yeah. it's some it's one of those things that like I feel like. And it's interesting because listening to this episode has made me think about, like, I feel like I want to go back and, like, tweak the game a bit. Mm -hmm. But that's that's we could talk more about those reasons why. But one of the things is, like, I feel like it makes sense to just put in there explicitly. It's like, hey, first things first, take five minutes and just ask the question, like, how do you all know each other? And like, that'll spawn those things, you know?
0: Yeah. When I hear people talk about, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of session zero about asking your players what they want explicitly, like, really having them detail, like, what they want the adventure to be. Even though that I know that that is a great thing to do, it makes my job easier, it makes the players more, have more fun, there's a part of me that recoils to it, even now, that it feels Mm. like, oh, we're pre-writing the story, and then we're just going to, like, do the story that we said. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to this, we we talk five minutes, we have a lot of, like, vague outlines, and the story follows those outlines, and then goes off in wild tangents. Like, I don't think anyone... Any I don't think any of the players took that five minutes and then we're like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. We're just on rails now. It's like, no, we ended crazy. We knew that we were going to save some elder chickens in the end. And that was about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is amazing how quickly the players throw you wild curveballs.
1: Yeah. What was that first wild curveball in this game that you had? You felt like you had to kind of adapt to.
0: Ooh, first wild curveball. I think uh, Chinook playing Papillon turning into a like human chicken was a weird one. (laughs) Uh, That was fun. I was just like very down for that. I think going over to like talk to the Nuggets presented like a very fun. The second uh, Chinook and Jenny were like, yeah, we're going to go talk to the Nuggets. We're going to conscript them and stuff. I knew that that was the scene that they wanted. I knew I had to go all in on that one because that's where all the fun was going to be for that like mm -hmm. 15 minutes. So I was like, okay, I got to. I can't half-ass this. I got to go all in, which is why you get the, like the jive talking, you know, smooth jazz uh, nuggets.
1: <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to chime in and pepper you with another compliment. Cause I realized if I put all my compliments at once, it's going to sound very, uh, gushing and <laughs> like I'm a plant. Um, but I think that what you just said is one of the things that I thought you did really well throughout it is that you were very tuned into what a player wanted from a scene Mm-hmm. and wanted from a moment like even if a like even in the moments like i one of the things i was really impressed by was like when someone would describe the intention behind a move and they would like and then you had them roll and they would get a success and they would give like they would kind of say what they did but then you had this great way of turning it into like a the cinematic moment that they wanted you know like you mm-hmm. like you'd tr- you were able to like take it and, and like turn it into so yeah i think you were very well tuned into like what people wanted out of scenes and what people wanted out of moments. And I think that the the nugget little jazz talk is like the perfect
0: example of that. Well I will happily just roll around in that compliment a little bit. Just roll around in it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that is the thing I was thinking about as we were going, because I knew I had five players. I wanted to give everyone like a major moment so that because mm-hmm. I, I've played games before where all of a sudden you get to the end and you realize one player was just kind of an ancillary player. And so I wanted to try, and I think I succeeded pretty well, to give everyone like their big moments. So, like Minerva got to do her prophecies. Mm -hmm. Wendy got to rescue her grandmother. Dintel got to hang with Nuggets. Peep got to have his uh, I am a Peking duck moment. Yeah. (laughs) Which was just such a great line (laughs) Uh, my one of my only regrets at the sound design is not really going wild with i am a baking dog dog (laughs) dog dog just doing a bunch of explosions or something yeah and papillon had just
1: like a couple great moments papillon i mean chinook is clearly such a great player Mm -hmm. like he like gives a lot i feel like in scenes and stuff but like there were some really just great papillon moments i mean he had that great ending moment um with the with the egg. Oh, yeah. With explode. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, the sound design on that is
0: chef's kiss. For oh, sure. thank you. very I really spent a lot. Of, I knew that that was like the last big thing I had to do. So I was like, OK, dive in. Absolutely. Um, OK, so let's let's maybe, you know, we're getting
1: a little positive here. Let, what yeah, were, let's turn what it. What were the hardest moments for you or like hardest aspects?
0: I'll say there, there are two things that I that are in or actually there are three things that are in your game that I think I didn't use enough. And then I have one problem that's kind of my generic problem all around. The quick and easy one was the game is supposed to be like, you're supposed to be taking revenge against like the Bryson Foods Inc. And I never got that like anti-capitalism sentiment. Not that you need it, but it is something that is Not like that you need very much in the game. And the second I got on this cow trip, I was like, oh, I don't. Okay, I like I said, cows too quickly. And then I was like, well, that's what it is now. No, no, no. Which was fine. Which was fine. Great villain. Yeah, but I hear you. And the two things that I think I I missed out on that I I do regret was not allowing people to roll a little bit more. Only because I think we missed out on seeing more Eldritch abilities or having people get closer Mm. to total chicken failures or total Eldritch uh, successes. Mm -hmm. Cause I think, especially these types of games like, you know, this and honey heist get more and more exciting and interesting as you get like more powers or as you get closer to those two extremes of, you know, bear criminal chicken Eldritch horror. Right. Cause I think by the end of the game, only one or two people had more than one power. And I don't think anyone at any point like got to three. I think they bounced around one and two the whole time.
1: Yeah. Didn't tell by the end, I think had none. I think from like halfway through to the end Intel was rocking none. Yeah. And I mean, to, to spin that a little bit into a positive, I think one of the reasons that did, that happened is because we got into so much good role play that like, it didn't really like the story flowed really well. I guess if I had to turn that into like something to change, I would say that throwing like more concrete obstacles at people i guess is a way to mm-hmm. to get them to roll more or something like that like maybe like not like like i guess like the D equivalent of like combat like not that like we actually needed to like run a combat scenario but right. you know like have like some kid decide that Dintel is like looks really tasty and like uh, oh i
0: do regret perhaps him that. and runs
1: away or something like that like there's like those that like something that like upsets the status quo and you know mm-hmm. makes it so everybody has to adapt and like try a roll but i don't think that the game was worse for it but i totally hear what you're saying like it can be kind of a bummer when you get to the end of a gaming session you're like oh i didn't get to like see like this game go like hot like as hog wild as it can
0: right of these six elder traits we only saw five we saw tentacles we saw scales we saw a third eye we saw nine euclidean geometry and we saw magic eggs right at the end we missed out on seeing voice of the other speaking in any voice, any mm. language, which could have been very fun for uh I feel like someone like Minerva could have really had it, a good time with it. I feel like Papillon would have really gone into that. Uh and I also mm-hmm. think Dintel would have done some crazy like multi nugget, multi-voice, you know, cacophonous <laughs> type thing. Uh, it yeah. was it was funny just because I've only really run D. So every time I, I, I guess I don't even know the terminology, but I was like make an Eldritch uh, check. <laughs> I'm just so used to saying yeah, right. ability check. <laughs>
1: Well, so here's here's the thing with that. And I and I noticed that while listening, but it's sort of like as a designer and like as a baby designer uh, relative to like a lot of folks, it made me think like, man, I should have should I have given a name for that? And I was like, like, is that like, should that language have been more clear? Mm -hmm. And like, maybe I think maybe it should have. I don't know. I don't know. How do you describe it if it's like not using a specific stat or like, I don't know yeah it did make me think that that particular point made me think like oh yeah like that is it's kind of weird to just say like roll me a check i guess or like roll for it maybe it's just roll for it I, I, know. I know i
0: started saying make an elder check and by the end i think i was just saying like make a roll yeah 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 it, it was a weird thing to like because the first time i said it i literally like my brain fritzed out and i was like wait what am i okay yeah <laughs> uh, but i think my biggest problem that i have as as a game master you know flat out across all things and i especially see this when i'm editing my own voice because it's very clear Mm. to see when you're looking at the waveforms on your monitor is that there are large chunks of time where i narrate a lot Mm. and i think i often give players like i ask them what do you want to do they kind of give Mm -hmm. me some narration of what they want to do and then i heighten it which I, i i agree with you i think i do a good job of Making it more cinematic, giving them what they want, giving like upping the stakes for what they want. But I think I often fail to allow them more agency over what happens in their roles. So like Mm. I I ask someone to make a role and I'm narrating what happens rather than really throwing it to them and letting them shape the story a little bit more. I think I don't think I, I am like railroading. I don't think I am like forcing people to a narrative. But I think I could allow people to be a lot more, you know, sprawling. And when you see it on a waveform, you can literally see like no one else talking for, you know, a minute and a half and just my squigglies on my track. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it becomes it really hits you in the face of like, hey, you need to shut up, buddy, and let other people talk.
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely I definitely hear that. And I think um, and I, I will say, like, as a player in the moment you don't, you may not think about that. Like if the, if the narration is, is entertaining enough, mm-hmm. Um. but like, but it definitely is leads to more collaborative storytelling to like throw to, to the folks more often. And I think this is something that I've learned a lot from, from story games, like games that are like less role or have no roles, things like, I guess like wander home. And I played a game recently called stealing the throne, which is like a very narrative um, group storytelling game. Mm-hmm. And I guess that one doesn't really make sense because it doesn't have a GM, but A lot of those games we'll talk about, you know, and I think some people have given this advice and it's something I've really in the recent times of running sessions tried to incorporate into the way I run games is letting players establish not only things about what their characters do, but like turning the script on them for things about the world and things about the story, you know, like not like you don't want to do like intensely consequential things. Like if you've decided that like the plinth is in this room and it's where the chickens, you're not going to ask the players like, where are the elder chickens? But like they, the, the, I guess to pick from this game, like it's like, where do you want to go? It's like, oh, we go over to this booth. It's like, great. What is this booth? Like, what kind of booth is this? Describe yeah. it to me and like, tell me what the person behind the counter looks like. And then then you jump in as like the game master and like, and take there. And then there's that sort of like, buy-in of like, oh, I created like a little piece of the story. And I think that's, that would be kind of my, my advice to avoid that. If you, if you feel like you're talking too much.
0: The eighties are over and you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG, a fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics and the 90s indie culture. After years of development and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter Featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. I feel like I often and I'm not quite sure how I set up it in some way. I set up early on that the player and I guess this is, you know, probably better for D&D and maybe not as beneficial for a game like this. I somehow subconsciously or otherwise set it up that the player is in charge of their character and any Mm. things outside of the character are controlled by me. Mm -hmm. So like when Papillon says explode, he narrates what's happening to him. But doesn't Mm
1: -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. and and this isn't a a knock to schnook, but I haven't set up a a space where it is comfortable or comfortable or obvious that he is also able to, should he want, describe what happens after that. Because really, once you roll the Mm. dice and there is a success, you are successful. You can kind of narrate what happens in the world rather than just saying what you do and allowing the DM to kind of like roll with that. I think I, I am pretty good at rewarding what people want. But mm, I would love mm-hmm. to invite my players more to create the world as well as just their character, should they so choose. I think it is a and d trapping to
1: think that like, or not to think, but it's kind of what D&D kind of pushes you into as a game master, as a dungeon master, is to be the arbiter of the world, the arbiter mm-hmm. of NPCs, the arbiter of... Um, story quote-unquote which is like a very all-encompassing term obviously and like in these other games um in these story games in the one-page games there's a lot more flexibility to who who has control over what and and i think that leaning into that you know doesn't always lead to as narratively sensical a game in a world um, but it does
0: lead to a lot of fun you know (laughs) yeah and i think these types of games are malleable in that way. Like they have a lot of give one page mm-hmm. RPGs do like it's much easier to allow more agency for the players to like fuck with the world because the world's already kind of wacky and goofy and loose. It's kind of a, you know, success and failure. There's not necessarily a gradient as much as there is in D and D. Right. So I think it, it is built a little better for that. And I think what I really want to do moving forward, not only in this game, but I've seen it in my D and D games too, that I think I could improve on is very explicitly at first giving my players the ability to craft what the reaction, like if they have a success, even if it's in D and D and they have a successful, you know, deception check or insight check, or something like let them read into the character a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then I can always, I can always guide and correct and give them like the key pieces of information that only a DM might have. Right. But they can help craft this NPC or this situation in the world. Because I think the more if you do that just a few times explicitly, all of a sudden it opens up the door for a player to be like, oh, I can do this more. And then, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a dungeon master, as a game master, as a chicken master, you can always die, like pull it back just a little bit if it is straining believability of the world. Sure, sure.
1: And like, obviously, you know, if you're if you're applying those rules to something like D&D in a campaign, it's like do that in the like lead up sessions. Maybe don't do it in like the BBEG confrontation where you've like found right. out their whole lair and all this, you know, it's like, it's like there's a time,
0: times and places. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you mentioned earlier that after having played this game and like seen it played and being a player yourself, there were some things you were thinking about like editing or changing in the game, you know, for a version two or something. What are some of those changes that you were like contemplating and what were the moments in the game that kind of made you, No, made the light bulb go on of, oh, maybe this is a better way to do it. Maybe I should try it this way. Unfortunately,
1: I think it's the phrasing of kind of the core system. Um, I realized like I realized in the way and I think this is because you didn't run it exactly as written. And I think it was why it worked better. And I think I want to like kind of adapt to the language because I think the way I phrased it and I don't and in hindsight, I don't know what this instinct was, but I phrased results as actions And I think it's confusing and could be confusing for like a GM who like picks this up and tries to explain it to their players like a mix of chicken and eldritch actions. When it really should just be like the action is whatever you want, but it's a mix of your chicken and eldritch like nature. It's not I think it it felt a little I think in the text, it's a little too prescriptive for the the spirit of the game. I don't
0: know. Does that you know the part I'm talking about? in the? I think I know. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I had interpreted the game as so say I roll. Uh, Two chickens and one Eldritch. That is a it's a mixed role. So it is a success. But it it is the player is meant to describe it as like how you use your chickenness, like a lot of your chickenness and a little bit of your Eldritch powers to narrate this success.
1: Yeah, and I think. That's great in theory, but I feel like when like you're actually a player and you're actually a game master in the moment, what it is, is like, I want to do this I roll like I succeed or fail and it's like inevitably the way your character is is going to give you the chickeniness and the eldritchiness like right it's almost that's what I mean about it being too prescriptive like I think it was like it was too descriptive of like amounts it's like it's like no like you succeed if you are expressing a mix of your eldritch and chicken nature and like the amount doesn't really matter you know gotcha. and then the other thing that like I keep going back and forth on with this game and i did it in playtesting and you and i have talked a lot about this is like should three eldritch roles be a failure because like it because like it feels like because we playtested it as both and it's like in some ways it's like feels you want that critical success moment of like oh i'm super eldritch i'm super successful Mm -hmm. but then i also like i think it did introduce more failure to have it both ways so i am that that i'm not sure i'm gonna change but like that that is something that like Playing as a player um made me reconsider. And then yeah, just the language around around the the rolling mechanics.
0: I know we talked about the the eldritch failure specifically because it, it does promote a weird it, it's a weird cognitive dissonance for the player because you roll, you know, three sixes and you're getting a new eldritch ability, yay, but you're also failing. It's like, oh right. like, uh, I I want the eldritch ability, but I also want to succeed. Yeah.
1: And I think, like, to your credit, in the game, you did it in, like, a very fail-forward kind of way, and I think it's, like, a very fail-forward style of game anyway, and so yeah. I don't think it's, like, I don't think it doesn't work, and I think you you did a good job of making it, like, kind of unexpected success rather than, like, full failure or full success. It was sort of, like, you were going to try and do this, and now, like, this happens. You're not, like, failing, but you're kind of, like, taking an alternate route or whatever, like, and I think this is part of, like, improving and learning as a game designer but like that that it did yeah i did think just like ways to make things clearer in the text for someone especially for someone who's maybe not uh as experienced as you are i know this was your first uh one pager but you Mm -hmm. are a very like experienced dm but
0: yeah that was that was kind of my thought i was always thinking about those eldritch failures as like you're in the middle of doing something all of a sudden you get hit with like a spasm or like now there's tentacles coming out of you and it's like It's just like you're freaking out because this new thing's happening. Like you're now distracted and you've got to deal with this Mm. bullshit. But those tentacles are still kind of like, you know, if you all of a sudden still kind of doing the same and you're trying to grab a baseball, the tentacle is going to move forward and grab the baseball. You just have to freak out about having tentacles now.
1: Yeah. And I can see like there's still a lot of situations where that would make sense. Like if you were like trying to do something that was more like sneaky, you know, like and it's like there was a great moment of like. Oh, no, that was a chicken failure. Never mind. There was a great chicken failure moment <laughs> uh, with Dintel landing in the hot oil and like uh, losing their uh, tentacles, their tentacles. Yeah, into yeah, the yeah. hot oil. That was. Yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, it's a hard. It's a tricky balance. Failure is a tricky thing in being a game master in general anyway. yeah,
0: But it is an important thing. Yeah, it, it is a really important thing because you want to give your players the like everything that we talked about in that first five minutes and all the promises that the players kind of like had for their characters, you want to give it to them. But if you give it to them right away with no effort, it's not very fun. Like you want to have challenges. You want to have failure. You want to overcome the failure. That's how we got to explode because right, right before that someone failed a role and the, what would have destroyed the plinth needed like an extra little ounce of oomph. And that's how we get to the mm-hmm. great ending of Dintel of, a. Uh, Of Papillon laying an egg, mini Papillon coming out, smoking a cigarette, explode and destroying the plinth in uh, a blaze of glory.
1: That was a very I feel like that whole ritual scene was a very like trust the process kind of scene where it's like where it's like we're like we all really wanted to, to fix it and like kept trying and like failing and like it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then like. Of course, the way it finally ended was just super fucking cool and like hilarious. So, yeah, that was very like that was one of those moments where it was very tense as a player where you're like, I don't know what to do here.
0: (laughs) That was the the moment that was probably scariest for me because everything up to that, you know, stealthing around, learning information. You do that as a DM all the time, you know, having Mm -hmm. the fun conversation with the NPCs. You do that all the time. That's, you know, your bread and butter. And that's where I think I particularly thrive when you get to the Mm -hmm. climactic battle crazy things are happening. And especially in a system that isn't as concrete as D and D isn't as, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the plinth didn't have an AC. It didn't have, you know, a damage threshold. It was just a plinth that was vaguely described. Everything you guys threw that I had to honor the dice, whether it was success or failure, and also make sure that this final battle was both Epic and difficult in a way, or like felt that Mm -hmm. the victory was earned. And I feel like in the middle of that, there was a moment where I was like kind of freaking out in my head of just being like, okay, how do I, Oh no, they failed again. <laughs> yeah, It's like, Oh no, they failed again. Like, but they've got to feel for like, who's <laughs> going to die because of this. Or like, like what are the consequences? How does this get worse for them? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what do you lose? But how do you like fail forward? Because we only had 15 minutes left. Like we still have to finish the game. There must be an outcome. Sure. But how do you get there? And again, this is a testament to both the simplicity and directness of the game and the skill of my players that it all worked out (laughs) it all everyone gave me lots of stuff to play with and i could i could weave together the disparate threads that people were putting together because they were all the same color and all right next to each other like you guys made it very Mm -hmm. easy for me
1: and i think um i think one of the things that's important to remember like for people in this kind of situation and i think like and i think that this is a good example of that is that like that final ritual didn't happen in the cinematic way it would happen in like a movie. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's because it's like, we're not watching a movie. We're not making a movie. We're like playing a game. And like, sometimes in a game, you like come up against a brick wall and like, you try to like solve it in like different ways. And that's not like in a movie, that's not very interesting. But when you're like an engaged group of players, that shit rocks, you know, like it's so it's just like, it's like, you don't have to You don't have to make it the movie kind of story. Like it's like it's still, you know, a game and it's active and and uh, all that. That's just a random little nugget. No, I
0: I agree. Honestly, like trying to pick the lock on the door can be really boring. Or if you keep failing, it can be really a funny and b fun. If Mm -hmm. kind of the stakes around that start getting higher, like you don't have to Mm -hmm. make the door any easier or harder, but you can all of a sudden up the stakes around it. And that can make it exciting and fun, which is what I think I tried to. I tried to just like anytime you guys failed, I was like, well, now the sprinklers are on now, this stuff, now the plinth is doing this. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, your time is shrinking and shrinking and these guys are getting out. And I think by the end, what about funny to lose though? If we just all turned into cows, I really think <laughs> you guys were about like one failure away. Cause I was like, right. You know what? Like the plinth has to take someone like, you know, right. But I think had that happened, Tossing that back to your players and being like, hey, someone is not getting out of here. Either one Mm -hmm. of you is not getting out of here or all of you aren't getting out of here. All of a sudden that gives one player or multiple players that gives the players like a huge opportunity, a huge moment to do the crazy big thing that you never get to do in real life. Like you very rarely do you get to like make the noble sacrifice. Very rarely do you get to Mm -hmm. uh, put it all on the line. But in a role-playing game, those can be the best moments. And having the moment of your character putting it on the line, facing possible death, and either coming back or not, can often be the very best part of the story because that's the thing that you'll remember and tell other mm-hmm. people as if you had lived it. Because, quite frankly, you did.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that's really just God. What's that's so fucking cool? What it's a the fucking best cool thing of, that we do. The best part of tabletop
0: role-playing games. <laughs> it's great.
1: Any words of advice um, to somebody else running this game or running other one pagers? I know we've dropped some some nuggets in there, but anything we haven't said.
0: I think if you're going to run one page RPG and especially if you're going to run something's wrong with the chickens. I think the most important part for the chicken master is that first couple of minutes is always be in the same room. Roll your characters together chat and have fun about like, you know, goof off about who people's characters are. because I think for the players, you know, they're rolling on a couple of tables. They know they're a chicken. They know they have tentacles and that's it. But all of a sudden, if people start like talking back and forth and like joking around that player, all of a, all of a sudden has a couple of moments they can grab onto and form a character because everyone needs mm. those little nuggets, you know, no pun intended to create mm-hmm. their character. They're going to be playing with, and it gives you time as the chicken master to gather up those little nuggets, <laughs> gather up those little moments and scribble them down real quickly and just remember, OK, I got to hit this. This is who this person is. And, you know, my notes for this game were just wild scribbles, but there were mm-hmm. like five. Di- you know, I wrote down the names of people, the, the players names, the characters names, and then kind of who they were and what they wanted as quickly as I could. And I just used that to guide the game. And then after you roll on the the tables to find out what the chicken fried steaks are, what the setting is, who the villain is, who your, your allies are. That couple of minutes right after that, where you define relationships within that setting. So like, how did the chicken and the nugget know each other? Why are they at this state fair? What's interesting about this fair? Ask your players just a couple of questions. Like, how do you know each other? What's something interesting about you? What's the secret that you have that one person knows, but the other people don't? You can set hmm. up all these little things and you may not get to all of them but having that ammunition, I don't even want to say ammunition, but having that wealth, having that well to be able to come back to is incredibly incredibly helpful. Cuz that's where your games going to be built on. Cuz there's not a big rule book, there's not a big source guide that you can go to. It's mm-hmm. that is your source guide. That 10-15 minutes of character creation and setting creation, that's your source guide. So really treat that with the respect it deserves and that will set the tone And set you up for success for the next hour, two, three hours.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better.
0: (laughs) And then with with all games, but with one page RPGs especially, know that this is a very fluid system. It is meant to be very easy Mm -hmm. to understand. And it's meant for you to do as much as you can with it. So really let your players go wild. Don't hold too hard and fast to any of the rules or any decisions that are made. Let players have fun because this is the best kind of game for that. Mm -hmm. It's not rigid. It's not strict. It's meant to be pliable. Use that pliability to your advantage. Let your players have fun with it. And also know that any mistakes or errors you may make can be rectified very quickly or justified by this very pliable game system. Uh, Mm -hmm. So really, don't worry too much. It's going to be fun. Yeah, Yeah. You know, they tell pilots if the plane's going down, just keep flying the plane. And, you know, hopefully you land. (laughs) And, you
1: know, for most people, you won't have the pressure of recording an entertaining podcast episode. That's true. You very successfully also made it a very entertaining podcast episode. I'm curious, and I think this would be interesting for people. What were the allies and enemies you rolled? Just to like so people can kind of see how you interpreted
0: those. Let me see. I rolled... So I think I think for my I'd have to check my notes, but I think for friends I rolled. I'm pretty sure I rolled an underpaid worker, which never mm-hmm. really came up. I think I kind of set you guys up with. There like was a an bunch.
1: underpaid worker, but we very quickly were not his friends. Yeah, you guys very
0: quickly <laughs> uh, uh, Papillon just kept slapping the uh, underpaid workers, so that mm. really didn't come in to play, which was fine. Like you guys didn't really, which need is it. fine. And, you know, I, I really thought of the friend as something that could like help propel the story forward. And this is kind of what you told me is if we get to a like stuck point, use as many friends or allies as you can to like get past that stuck point. Like they will come in with the, they'll swoop in with the information they need. They'll, you know, advance right. the plot forward. And for foes, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this is how I got to the um, the cows in the boiler suit thing was the armed Bryson goons. Mm, uh, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I rolled a two on that. So, yeah, it was like arm Bryson goons. And I immediately thought of just like being, you know, I really, really, I thought of like farmers in overalls and somehow that turned into boiler suits because that <laughs> felt more intimidating. Uh, and in my yeah. head, they were like pink boiler suits, too. Like they were clearly like part of the state fair, but these guys like didn't fit in them. hmm. In my head, they were like the just the most beige. They were just very beige. Mm-hmm. Suits. Yeah, these guys were definitely meant to be like cut cookie cutter goons Mm -hmm. they were like i think i even described the one point of being like the same if not for a few small facial features
1: right and so i think this is the my point in asking you that is just to show like how you didn't end up really needing the ally and i think that made sense and like you took armed goons and interpreted into this very fun very eldritch story of like cows transfigured into humans and all this stuff i feel like clearly you must have like been a fan of like Eldritch horror stuff and like Lovecraftian stuff in time. I feel like that kind of stuff was like throughout or no. See,
0: actually, I'm not that familiar, which is another reason I was worried about running this game, because I haven't played or run Call of Cthulhu. I don't know the mythos that much, but me neither. What's that? I said me neither. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny, like your game makes it so easy to kind of like just guesstimate at it where. You know, Uh-oh. tentacles, you hear non-Euclidean geometry and you like Wikipedia what that is. Uh, you think mm-hmm. magic eye, you think third eye, you think scales. And all of a sudden you kind of had the idea of a Cthulhu like monster in your head and you kind of just yeah. skin the world based on that idea, which I just took to mean weird, creepy, body horror, anything that kind of like mm-hmm. ticked those boxes. I was like, great, throw it in, throw it in, throw it in. That's how you get the um, Papillon's like pocket. His like skin flat pocket so that good. goes into like so the nether regions of the world. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, if he's gonna have something like that, it's gotta go into some abyss.
1: Yeah, no, and, well, I'm, that's I'm, that's interesting to hear, and I but I think you're right. I think that does speak to something about just like the word eldritch and like eldritch horror in general. Mm-hmm. Just has like that sort of like universal cultural flavor. Yeah. At this point, like it has sort of transcended any like one property. And it's just something that like I feel like collectively, mostly like people who are like in nerdy spaces have some kind of like base knowledge to just like yank fun little ideas from.
0: Yeah. If you are looking at this game and thinking like, oh, I don't play Call of Cthulhu. I can't play this Eldritch game. I have never played any of those. I know none of those properties. I haven't watched Lovecraft Country. I don't know any of those types of things. I think I did a pretty good job. You, you know, roughly what it is. Use that to color the world. Really just having tentacles, scales and non Euclidean geometry in your normal world will tell you everything you need to know about what's going to be happening and then throw it on chickens. Absolutely. man, you got to you got to you got a fun time before we go. Uh, I know I gave a little bit of advice on being a chicken master. Do you have any advice on being a player in, in this type of game or uh, about being a chicken master as well? I
1: think one of the things, one of my regrets from this game is actually that I didn't commit to doing the French accent with Papillon because I think two (laughs) French ducks would have been great. And I thought about it early on and I didn't commit to it. And I think, you know, that translates to the advice of like, if you've got something silly you want to do in a game like this, commit to it, always commit to it. Just always just like dive headfirst into whatever funny, silly thing you want to do because that French accent was excellent. I think... I think as a player my advice is just like, you know, don't be afraid to chime in, you know, it, like like I was kind of saying to you about like as a game master one of the best things you can do is like throw it to your players to like make something up, but also like as a player especially like if you like know you're at a state fair, I feel like this is kind of how we started off going to like a booth or whatever, but like you could be like, "Oh, like I want to go to the ring toss game. Like I want to go mm-hmm. to the ring toss game booth." Like you know, bring those like little bits of like story building into your requests. And I think like Kyresha playing as Minerva was like, I'm going to follow this guy to like wherever he's going. And then that like helped, like, you know, be conscious about also moving the story forward, you know, or don't like, you don't have to wait for the game master to move the story forward. This is really convoluted way of saying you don't have to wait for the game master to move the story forward. You also have agency and power um, in the story.
0: And I will say as a As a chicken master, as a game master, I love it. I love it so much when my players move the game forward, because not only does it take a little bit off your plate, it surprises me like it takes me in a weird spot. And now I've got to like backpedal and figure stuff out. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it becomes that little bit more collaborative, which is something I am always looking for. And I think as we talked about before, it's the thing that I'm trying to be better at. And the second I set up a space that my players feel comfortable to do that and feel they have the agency to do that, that feels like a success. So anytime anytime you have an idea, anytime you have a thing that you want to like dive into, please do it. It gives the other players more to work with. It gives your DM more to work with, it gives your chicken master more to work with. And it's just you're gonna have more fun.
1: Yeah, and don't don't say no to your players. It's like the first rule of improv, like your fellow players. Just mm-hmm. like always, yes and your fellow players, you know, like go along with somebody. You know, like if you notice that somebody's like leaving a group. Go with, like, your character goes with them, you know? Like, just, like, you know, be conscious of, like, how you're, you're playing with, like, your fellow players as well. And don't, like, shut down what they're doing and don't also just, like, abandon them to, like, go try to do something on their own. Because that's not interesting, you know? It's always more interesting when people uh,
0: are together. And that is it for my first dungeon, Something is Wrong with Chickens. A very big, huge, massive, mega thank you to Elliot uh, for creating this game and for playing in it and for talking with me about it. Uh, Elliot, where can people find you online? And more importantly, where can they find this lovely game? Uh, you can find me on
1: Twitter, at More morebloobs, uh, which is like more blueberries, but just bloobs. Um, that's confusing at more bloobs, m-o-r-e-b-l-u-e-b-s I think I did this on the <laughs> episode as well um, or uh, you can find all my games at
0: moreblueberries.itch.io. Um, all two of them I mean this is such a great game it must be selling for like 10, 20, 30, 40 dollars right like it's gonna be it's gonna be an investment I thought
1: about you know putting it at 100 or something no it's $2 uh, for the whole game and if you can't afford that there are community copies as well for free so feel free to take one of those no questions asked Just play the game.
0: That's really all that matters to me. People, $2. (laughs) Support Elliot. Play this game. If nothing else, it just looks cool. Download it. The PDF is great. So please, please, please check out all of Elliot's games. I've got the links below. Click on them. Two bucks. This is great. Uh, It's such a fun game. Two bucks. These are really great games. Please support Elliot by buying a copy. And please, please, please play this game. We had a lot of fun. I know I'm going to be playing it more Elliot, I am sure I I can take these words out of your mouth. More important than the money, or equally as important, as important as the money, is having people play this game.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd even say I might say more important. I like, I just, I think I get more excited when I just see how many people like have downloaded a game because in my mind that means that every one of those people are playing it. Even though I'm like, I'm totally guilty of just having a library of games that I haven't played, but in my mind, everybody who owns the game is somebody (laughs) out there playing it and having fun,
0: and that that means a lot to me. So please play the game and, you know, toss some money, too, because we love that as well. Uh, It's easy to learn, a ton of fun to play, and I guarantee you're going to have a great time. I know we did. Though by the end, you may never be able to trust the chicken again. So, you know, weigh weigh your options, I guess. Hell yeah. And remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Brian.
1: At least, I assume that you do, as you've listened to every minute of this episode. And yet you haven't already left us a five-star review? Well, what are you waiting for? Get over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave that review now. It's always wonderful to hear words from our adoring fans. Getting more ratings helps people find the show and love it as well. And we love to hear your nice words. So head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review. Ta-ta!